Find please the copy of your, in your copy of Scripture, the Gospel according to John. John 15, and uh, I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. Also, if you would look in your uh, order of worship at the end of the order of worship, in that middle panel, there's a, it says, where it says sermon notes, and then it says G-O-G-O, go-go. Would you find that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call your attention to that in a moment. Would you find that? That'll save us a few minutes when um, we get to that point in the message. So it's right after, the, right at the end of the order of worship, uh, you see that uh, says sermon notes. I, it's a, the middle panel. I'd, I'd appreciate that. We read from John uh, 15, and we're going to read the words of Jesus. He has turned his heart now toward uh, the crucifixion. He knows that that's imminent. Of course, he, he knew, as others didn't, that his resurrection also was imminent. But he's beginning to, pray, uh, to prepare his followers and friends for his departure. And this is what he says. When the advocate comes, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, and I'm talking about the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. If you'll keep your Bibles open, I want to refer back to those verses. This is the second uh, week in a three-week series on personal evangelism, and by personal evangelism, I mean simply, and that's kind of a churchy phrase, but it means our opportunity to help people understand who Jesus is, and our opportunity to help them understand what it means to follow Him, and, and an invitation, an intentional invitation to people that they, that they follow Jesus. We talk about personal evangelism because because Jesus matters, because what people decide about Jesus matters. Ephesians 2.12 says that those without Jesus are without hope and without God in the world. We talk about this because it's, a, it's an opportunity for people to have life at its very best, not perfect life because we live in a, far, in a fallen world, but it's, it's abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give life that is abundant or overflowing the best it can be, not, not full of joys and happies and perfection, but life at its very best, and that's impossible without Jesus. We talk about this because this world is not all that there is, and although I don't know exactly how to interpret those images of hell in the Bible, it it is a place of eternal and uh, hopeless separation from the giver of all good gifts. We talk about this because grace is a wonderful motivator. God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love is a marvelous motivation. We talk about this because it's an opportunity for us to understand the Christian faith in a, in a, with, in, in a richness and a depth that's impossible unless we're talking about our faith. We talk about this because for a church, arguably, arguably the most sacred and wonderful moment in the life of a church is when a new believer is baptized. And so we, we talk about personal evangelism. Last week we said that, that our character and our behavior either enhance or ruin our, our attempts to talk about Jesus. Today we talk about the Holy Spirit's role in this and our role in this. First of all, verse 26, when the advocate come, the spirit of truth comes out from the Father. 
he will testify about me. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, going to be, I'm, I'm going to leave here soon, and when I do, God is going to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to tell you, he's going to tell the world about me. Someone suggested that you picture a, a, one of those rolling whiteboards, those, those portable whiteboards, and you draw a, a, a stick figure that represents Jesus on the whiteboard and picture the person then going behind the whiteboard where you can't see him or her, but you can see his or her hand that's reaching around the whiteboard to point to this figure representing Jesus. And, and you can hear his or her voice saying, follow him, love him. He's wonderful. He's powerful. He's the real deal. He's worthy of your hope. He, he, this guy said, that's a great picture of the role of the Holy Spirit. He does not take center stage in history, but he testifies of Jesus. He points to him and he whispers into the spirits of people who are not yet his followers. He is the real deal. Love him, follow him, honor him. But we have to give him opportunities. As good a news as that is, we still have to give the spirit opportunities to, to do that. So there's a guy named Todd Watson, lives in the Midwest. I got to know him through the, this Fresh Expressions movement. He and his wife were really concerned about their neighbors, those who are not yet followers of Jesus. And so they decided to invite five couples every night, uh, excuse me, once a night, I think it's on Tuesdays, once a night, once a week on Tuesdays, to their house for dinner. Not to overwhelm them, not to be condescending toward them, but to have dinner and just to talk about life. He told me, or he, said, or he said that before they arrive, he and his wife always pray, how can we provide space for the Holy Spirit to come be part of our conversations? And he told me this, listen, if you create the space and invite the Spirit, he will not refuse the invitation. If you create the space and invite the Holy Spirit to point to Jesus, he will not refuse the invitation. So, the, so this is good news. We're not on our own. But the second, look at the second verse, verse 27. The spirit, who, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Look at verse 27. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from uh, the beginning. From the beginning of his ministry, they had been with him. And he said, you have something to share. You have a role in this too. You can't just rely on the Holy Spirit. Many of us say, I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to talk about my faith. I'm going to let my life be my, my testimony. And that's not a bad attitude. It just seems to me a bit presumptuous. Is there any among us whose countenance is so Christ-like, whose life is so lovely, whose ways are so wonderful that people are begging you to, to be like you? Not, it's not happening to me. Some of us quote St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. In other words, you know, preach it with your life. Two problems with that quote. One, he didn't say that. That was attributed. Somebody made that up and attributed it to him. Two, it, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not enough. Our character, our, our behavior, they do prepare the way for us to speak. But at some point, we have to speak. I'm not talking about being obnoxious and condescending. I'm not talking about a spiel or a sales pitch or a song and dance. 
I'm not talking about targeting people like telemarketers do. Uh, I'm not talking about, um, you know, a pyramid scheme kind of mentality, but at some point we have to speak. So if someone were to ask you, how do I become a Christian? Would you be able to tell them? If somebody were to ask you, you know, I've been listening to the radio, or I've seen something online, or my friend's been talking to me, and I think there's something to Jesus. And I know you go to church. Uh, how, how do I become a follower of Jesus? Please don't tell them to Google it. That would not be an appropriate uh, response. You remember the million dollar pyramid? You could call a friend. This is not call a friend. First Peter 3.15 says, always be, anybody know what it, be prepared. Thank you. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within you. So get your bulletins, that uh, order of worship I was talking about. And, and I'm going to, I, I want to walk you through some ideas. I, I don't believe in memorized canned speeches, but I do believe there are principles that you and I can and, and should know. And I think if we'll be prepared, we will be less frightened, we'll be more bold. And so I want to give you just some principles to, to work through. Now, I'm not talking about a pat answer. Jesus didn't have a pat answer. He answered people depending on who they were and where they, where they were. So to Nicodemus, who was trying to work his way into heaven by being good, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born again. To a woman at the well whose life was empty, Jesus said, I am living water. To a rich young ruler to whom money meant more than life, he said, man, you're going to have to sell all you have and give it to the poor, give your money to the poor. So Jesus didn't have a pat answer. He, he, he responded to people's contexts. But there are principles. There are principles. And so this go-go that you see in your, in your, in your bulletin, it's not, again, this is not a, a memorized speech to give. It's just a skeleton to kind of hang the meat on. And I learned this 35 years ago. It's been helpful to me for all these years, and I thought it might be helpful to you. So you follow along. Let me go through go-go. You can remember go-go. If you're old enough, remember Nancy Sinatra and those go-go boots. But go-go is what you're, what you're remembering. God's intentions for us. What are God's intentions for us? God's plan for us. That we have life at its best and life that never ends. Jesus said, I've come that you have life abundantly. And, and John 3.16 says, if you believe on Jesus, you can have everlasting life. That's God's intent, that it's not a perfect life, but that we join him in his mission to the world, which is life at its very best and life that never ends. That's the first G in go-go. Oh, what is... Our problem, why, why do we not enjoy life at its best? Well, the, the Bible calls it sin. It's not a common word on the street. I understand that, but the Bible calls it sin. And in the Bible language, and I wouldn't go into Greek and Hebrew if I were you, but in, in the Bible's language, sin means to fall short. It's just like an archer who shoots an arrow that falls short of the target. That's exactly what the Bible talks, is talking about. And the Bible says that all of us fall short. Our arrows all fall short. Our efforts fall short of God's intentions, his standards, and so we all have the same problem. This problem that separates us from God, that separates us from people, and separates us from God's intentions for us. God's in, we're at go now, God's intentions, 
His plans are life that never ends and life at its best. Our problem is what the Bible calls sin, falling short. Third or second G, God's answer or solution to our problems is simply Jesus. Jesus who lived a perfect life, who performed miracles, who loved like nobody ever has loved. Jesus, in a way that we can't explain, when he died, made it possible for us to be forgiven. And then on Sunday, after he died on Friday, he was resurrected. And now faith in him means that we can have life at its best and life that never ends. So we're at GOG, God's plan for us, our problem, God's solution, our answer, which is Jesus. And then the second go, or second O, is our response. How do we, how do we take advantage of that? How do we respond? Well, that's, there's, that, that's pretty simple, too. In fact, it's so simple, they use it in Bible school, the ABCs, admit, believe, confess. In fact, after the 815 service, our son Grant came up to you, he was in the 815 service, came up and said, Dad, I know the song, the ABC song. I remember it from Bible school, and he sang it. He declined my invitation to come here and, and sing it. But, it's, but kids have been learning it, but I, and I don't mean to insult your intelligence. I just want to give you something that we all can remember, and I need it simple. So go, go. When you get to the third O, what is our response? ABC, admit, admit, I am a, a sinner. I, 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 I have made a mess of my life, and I do need Jesus, and I do have a hole that nothing else has filled. Believe, and, and you can say the Bible, when it uses the word believe, it's a different kind of word than our English word believe because it, it, it involves the depth of one's heart. It means that I believe with all that I have that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that what he says that he promises is true, and, and, and to believe in such, with such a depth that it transforms our lives. Admit and believe and then confess Say, God, I agree with you. I, I do need Jesus, and, and I've, been, I've been driving the car for a long time, and I'm ready to move over to the passenger side and let, let Jesus take the wheel like that country song says. I, I confess, and, and I turn from what is wrong. I, I'm, I'm not suggesting some memorized, uh, you know, manufactured... Um, manipulative kind of canned presentation. But I do believe you need to be prepared. I also believe we, we should always have our antenna up looking for opportunities to walk through windows that God opens. Let me just mention a few to you. A new neighbor moves into your neighborhood. So bake some cookies or brownies and, and take a plate over and say, have you found a church yet? Don't, you know, that's a positive beginning. Don't say, here your brownies, turn or burn. That's not a good, uh, that's not a good beginning. That's not a good beginning. But if you say, hey, have you found a church yet? That's a positive thing. Assuming the brownies are good, by the way. While you're walking or working out with somebody, you can say, hey, we, you know, yesterday in, in our Bible study class, we had the most interesting conversation about creation or whatever, whatever it is. If, if your topic was tithing, don't bring that up. But otherwise, you can, you can talk about that. Somebody says to you, you know, I'm, I'm hurting, I'm, I'm grieving, then you can say, you know, life is hard. In fact, we have at our church, we have counselors who come because we know life is hard. And I have found prayer to be helpful. You can, it's an open, it's a window for you to let the Holy Spirit, remember, reach around the whiteboard and point to Jesus. You might simply respond to something that someone says. 
Someone says on Monday at work, I spent Saturday at Low Mill. You can say, you know, Low Mill's a great place, and I'm not sure exactly what they do, but we, our church has this thing called Heartfelt Expressions, and they meet on Saturday afternoons, and we have a studio there. I'm not sure what they do. Did you happen to see them? You're just beginning a conversation. Someone, uh, someone um, says, I, I saw on the news this pastor that said we ought to line up all the gay people and shoot them. You can say, you know, followers of Jesus sometimes don't represent him well, but we're not like that at our church. And you can begin, a, instead of just shaking your head, you can begin a conversation. Someone says, my grown kids are making bad decisions. You can say, one of my favorite stories is the story of the prodigal son. You've begun a conversation. You've opened a window. You've given the Holy Spirit an opportunity to point to Jesus to say, love him, honor him, follow him, give him, give him all that you have and all that you are. You are not alone in this. The Holy Spirit will testify. The Spirit of God who loves those folks more than you do and who longs for them to follow Jesus more than you do is, is empowering you and He's accompanying you. But you've got to talk. It is not enough to be good. It is not enough to put a First Baptist Church Huntsville sticker on your car. I wish you all had them, but at some point, we have to testify. Another way, it's on your, your outline. I, I, I didn't mention this a while ago, but the follow me, it's looking down there real quick. One of Jesus' most common invitations was simply follow me. He, he wants followers, which means you give him all that you have, and, and you're not sure where it's going to go, but you're in it for life, and Jesus is looking for Jesus is the boss of me. I'm, I'm all in kinds of followers. That's another route to take. I, there's no one way to do this, but we've got to, we've got to testify. That word that's used twice, that Jesus used twice in John 15, is a Greek word, and I'll probably mispronounce it, but it's marturite, from which we get the word martyr. And it simply means to give witness. It does not mean to debate or argue. It does not mean uh, to persuade. Uh, it does not mean to convince. It does not mean to prove. It means simply to give witness. I sat in a little courtroom over 30 years ago in another state, and I wouldn't tell this if it, we, weren't, we weren't so far removed from it. And I may, some of you may have heard me tell this, but I, I was, it was a custody hearing, and uh, custody hearings are often not, not fun, and this one wasn't. But there were just two. There was the, the biological father and his attorney, and the biological mother and her attorney, and, and myself and the judge. It had gotten ugly a few weeks earlier on Easter Sunday morning. On Easter Sunday, I stood to speak in that little country church, and I saw the stepdad and the biological dad. They were on different sides of the aisle, but at least they were in the same room. And I thought, how nice. On Easter, they've decided to set aside their differences and worship together. But I was naive. Each came with the intention of taking the 12-year-old little girl over whom this battle was raging. Each of them was going to take her home. And it broke out into a fist fight in the parking lot on Easter Sunday. So I was standing at the door, as uh, preachers do, and 
people saying, oh, nice sermon like you all do, you know, and all that. And, and I'm greeting oh, new people on Easter. And out of the corner of my eye, a, a knockdown drag out fist fight like out of a movie is taking place. Glad you're here. Hope they don't kill each other. Glad you're here. Hope they don't kill each other. So just a couple of weeks after that, we're sitting in this little courtroom now. And I'm there because the young lady, the 12-year-old, has said to me, uh, I want to live with mom, and here's why. And so I, I told what I knew. I, I wasn't there to convince anybody, persuade anybody. I wasn't there to debate or argue. I was simply there to testify. There are three things I want you to know, though. One, the attorney for the biological dad, and he was just doing his job, uh, did his best to discredit me. And the enemy, the Bible calls him Satan, the devil, he will do everything he can to keep you from testifying too. He will, he'll make you afraid. He'll give distractions. He'll do everything he can. He does not want to lose that soul. He will do everything he can to keep you from testifying. Second, it was not my job to prove or persuade. I was simply there to tell what I knew, and that's your job. Your job is not to debate or argue, persuade or prove. It, it's simply to say this is my experience, and this is truth as I understand it. But third, the stakes were high. I wasn't there to prove anything or convince anybody, but I prepared because I knew going in there that the trajectory of her life would depend largely on that event. It wasn't all up to me, but I knew I had a big responsibility, and you do too. The stakes are high. People's eternal destinations are at stake. So, so you better be prepared, whether it's go-go or something else. The Holy Spirit will testify, but you have to testify too.